You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another episode of the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Again from another hotel room. Guess your boy been out and about. And uh, it's not a bad thing, though. It's a good thing, all right? Doing things in the world and staying very, very busy. <laughs> As always, I suppose. But it's been it's been busier later. But, uh, yeah, been been doing pretty good. Kind of, I kind of... Not gonna do a lot of pussy footing. I'm gonna get right into. I don't even know what that word means. Pussy footing. Okay, I want to know the <laughs> the genesis of that. I said that. And I was like, is that is that word canceled? I don't know. Maybe it should be. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. But anyway, I'm not gonna dilly dally. How about that? Can I say that? Uh, and with that, I did a bunch of dilly dallying or and or pussy footing. So. Kind of wanted to talk a little bit about this um, Kyle Rittenhouse case in the, in a way where I don't want to talk about it <laughs> because I guess this this verdict's going to be coming through. And if you kind of if you know about this, it's kind of big news everywhere. I figured everyone probably knows about it. If you don't, then maybe just skip over this because I don't really want to explain the whole thing. But you know, a seventeen year old kid is up for murder of two people, shot another guy uh, during these demonstrations a while, you know, like a year ago, whatever. But I think the easy thing to do would be to just give you my opinion on who I think is right and what side I'm on. And and that kind of like is what I wanted to talk about because I feel like situations like this, um, bring the worst out of us collectively, especially within online spaces. And it, to me, it's just a kind of a flashback or like deja vu of the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, or it's kind of the inverse of George Floyd in that I think what happens is people see a scenario and they instinctively go, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, I'm on team blank. And then every way in which they accept information about that situation or react to information or whatever is informed by that initial vantage point, 
And listen, I have my opinion. You know me enough, you probably, <laughs> you might have an idea how, how I feel about it. But f- for me, it doesn't feel political. It feels just like a common sense thing. Um, and maybe that's naive, right? Maybe I'm not uh, checking for my own bias, which I try to do, but it's it's impossible to some degree to 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 completely uh, grade on that curve of, of understanding your own bias. But I just think it's it 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 just brings the worst out of people, and and that's just the point of just being divided. And the problem is, th- things like this and those other things, they become proxy wars, right? So it's like, oh, if he's acquitted, then that means this about America or about the justice system or about people. Or if he gets convicted, then that means this about that. And the truth is, I feel like these moments are never, I mean, they are these touchstones kind of by accident, but it doesn't mean that one one instance is going to change everything or that it actually has to do with everything it, it really is this this case is that case and it's going to and it becomes cyclical right because you have the george floyd thing then you there's this protest movement and then another guy black guy gets killed and that creates the civil unrest that kyle rittenhouse responded to and then he kills people and then now <laughs> Let's say he gets off and there's more civil unrest. Who's to say there's not going to be another Kyle Rittenhouse who shoots someone or some police officer does something? And it becomes this vicious cycle that that never really ends. And we got to stop investing ourselves in these things as, as if, even whether you think he's innocent or guilty, that it represents anything besides what it is. Like, oh, our team won. What did you win, right? If he gets convicted, what do you win personally? You, you, know, you know what? Your team, you get to put a little marker in your uh, ledger that you won, and you get to gloat. And But you know what? I, I know a lot of people in that camp, but what do they say? Well, it's not enough. Well, oh, they didn't, you know, it's never enough, right? It's not going to, one person going to jail is not going to solve anything in the grand scheme. Maybe it'll create some sort of precedent or uh, cautionary tale. So maybe we'll have some impact in that in that regard. But I don't think it doesn't change the world, in my opinion. I think it's it's still just one one instance. So and likelihood he's going to get off. I think that's the likelihood. Um, but what it's kind of made me think about more than anything is the idea of vigilantism, and especially within the context of American history, in that right, left, whatever your kind of way you view view these things, there is a strong streak within this country that is very adamant and connected to and defends the idea of vigilantism, that which is kind of weird because that is generally a right-wing viewpoint, but the right has also kind of co-opted this idea of 
being very much behind the police. But theoretically, you would think that vigilantism is against the police. But it actually, I think for a lot of these people, it actually connects where they almost see themselves as like an extension of the police. Um, and that, it I don't know, it, it, it really makes me think I've been re-watching Watchmen, the television show, uh, based on the, the comic books and also the, the film. And the thing about the original Watchmen comic, it was a, it was a commentary about the culture of, of superheroes in that it was critiquing and basically saying that if superheroes really existed, right? If you had, they have a, a character named Rorschach, that if he was a real person, he'd be a pretty shitty guy. Because what a vigilante is saying is, I'm judge, jury, and executioner, right? And kind of by by having a civilized society, we saying we're we're beyond that. This is not mob justice. This is not um, you know, we're gonna go round them up. We have a system that adjudicates these processes. So I guess to someone like me, vigilante justice seems regressive, right? Like we're going back to the wild, wild west. But I think there's a big pull from certain sects to go, well, yeah, that's exactly what they want. That's why they want open carry. And that's why they want go to these rallies and they're all rigged up. They got the guns they got, cause it's, I don't know if it's a fantasy per se, but it, or or maybe it's it's broader than a fantasy because it's being act, activated on right. It, it, it's an action at this point. Um, but I I just find that mentality to be very fascinating and a little scary, right? Because once you see yourself as kind of beyond the law, right? Like like. And this country, it's you know, a lot of like libertarians have an issue with the fact that the the government has a uh, a monopoly on violence, you know, state sanctioned violence that we're not supposed to do violence upon each other, but the you know the cops have guns and military's guns, but uh, it just it's just murky territory. It's like where does this end, right? Because it's militia culture, um, this idea of people armed people taking matters into their own hands. I know for a lot of those people, they feel like they're patriots and they're defending against some injustice, but all that is so subjective. And that's the problem with the vigilante because the hero is always in the perspective. And and that's why I I find it fascinating that it, it correlates so well with our comic book superhero mythology as well right like uh and how that f- kind of maps on our political understanding very well right like batman is very appealing to people who tend to be on the right because he's independently wealthy he's like a lone person and he kind of like does it all on his own he takes care of business He's wealthy. He owns, <laughs> he owns a company. You know, he builds stuff. It's like the self-made guy who's like, you know what? The system wasn't getting done, so I'm going to go do it on my own. Very individualistic, um, self-starter type of modality. And then Superman is kind of the prototypical 
left type hero from somewhere else, an alien, illegal alien, <laughs> uh, speaks in kind of broad platitudes about peace and togetherness and kind of in these, uh, you know, uh, rosy ideas, you know, um, and I'm not, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying one is good or bad. There's, it's just a, di- a different way of how our mythology ends up kind of interpreting the culture at a given time. And, and it's a great way to kind of, in the same way how like science fiction is a commentary on the present day's ills and cautionary situations and things that are going bad. I think comic books basically throw a mirror on society and go, hey, here's, it is a fantasy about, well, what what could we do if we could solve these these problems? And uh, and it's a way of examining this idea of the vigilante, right? The, the Punisher, Rorschach, like, if you dig deep, these are, they're not good people. Um, and that's ultimately probably too much power to put into individuals in a advanced society. So anyway, I guess that's a broad way of kind of giving you my <laughs> opinion on the matter. But I, but I think the idea of vigilantism is something that is a theme that, and philosophy that I think we should examine as a society and see if that makes sense, because I don't, I don't think people really have gone down the rabbit hole to really see what this really means. So anyway, I don't, you know, I haven't really talked about this on the internet or, or publicly because it's just going down a rabbit hole. If I, if I, if I tell you exactly, Oh, here's exactly what I think. Yeah. I'll get a bunch of people to agree with me, get a bunch of people to disagree with me and it'll basically do nothing. So, but anyway, I, I, it's going to be, I think kind of shitty no matter how it turns up. And then we wait until the next thing that's shitty that happens (laughs) where everyone hates each other and we're all pointing fingers and blaming everyone else. So sorry, I didn't mean to bum everyone out was not my intention, but it goes that way. Alrighty. We have a sponsor this week. It's a band from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They're called Feast on the Fallen, which I, I really enjoy that band name. And we're going to play a song entitled Waste Moreland. Here we go.
So that was Feast on the Fallen with their track Waste Moreland. And that's like one word. That's how they spell it. And it's from their 2020 EP called SCA. And I dug that. It had like almost kind of like a throwback, The Haunted. What's that? And there's this band, like the Himza. There's this band from uh, Denmark. I can't remember. Kind of reminds me of two with a little little core in there as well. I like it. It was no frills, just kind of full-on, full-throated thrash and heaviness. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. And like I said, they're from Pittsburgh. They've been around. They put a demo out in 2017. And I think this is their third EP. But yeah, they've been kicking around. They're doing a lot of gigs locally. And they're like, you know, they're out there grinding it. So... Uh, if you want to check out the band, I would go. So I was going to put to like their band camp or something, but they're smart. They have a link tree. You guys know about link tree? So it's like linktr.ee backslash feast on the fallen. And I go, I would go there. It has their Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, band camp, big cartel, tell them Doc Coyle with the X-Man sent you and that you want to support the band. And I appreciate them for sponsoring the show, as always, means the world to me. Such nice guys. And if you want to sponsor the show, shoot me an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is EX. And right now we're kind of, I went from being super busy and not having a bunch of shows booked, and I've gone booking crazy. So I've got, I'm going to have a ton of shows coming up. And we got some really sweet guests coming up. But I don't like to announce them until they're already recorded because you never know someone could cancel whatever but i've I've got a a murderer's row of very very killer guests but you know if you get get in touch with me it might not be a month before you get on because they i had some people waiting on me and i booked some stuff and they started flying out the door so that's just how it goes sometimes but anyway hit me up and i hope everyone is doing well okay let's talk about a guest we have a, a fucking fantastic guest I don't mean to curse, but sometimes the guest is so fantastic you have to use poor language. Uh, this guy's name is uh, Dan Sugarman. He is a lead guitar player for Ice Nine Kills. He used to play in a band called As Blood Runs Black, as well as another band called Fallen Figures. And he has a pretty stellar solo career going as a Super shred guitar player as well. And he's just a bona fide badass and super nice guy. This is honestly, it, it's one of the better episodes I've done in a while. And he was just an absolute pleasure to speak with. So I'm going to dispense with the introductions, just get right to it. So please check out my conversation with the incredible Dan Sugarman. Dan Born Ready Sugarman. <laughs> What's up, guys? On the X-Man podcast. Very exciting. And I want to thank you for reaching out because I just, listen, I've been so damn busy. I haven't been as deleterious as I, as I actually, I, I use that word wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, do I need to pull up a dictionary real quick? No, Fuck. deleterious is actually a bad thing. I actually meant like kind of uh, hardworking or determinative. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to retract that. Like I said, I haven't done done an interview in a couple weeks, so you know, if I'm a little rusty, I apologize to you. I apologize to listeners, but we're gonna drink more coffee. We're gonna yes. power through. 
Let's do but this. On behalf of myself and the listeners, we forgive you. Yes, yes. I appreciate it. Listen, we need to be more forgiving in general. I think culturally we all need to just just you know go easy on each other. Yeah, it's so, it's it's the year of not forgiving, and I feel like we need to just bring that back for sure. <laughs> Let's bring it back. There's a, actually there's a great Will Smith uh, little quote going around about forgiveness, self-forgiveness. I like it. Anyway, tangents aside, uh, thank you for reaching out uh, because you're like the perfect guy for the show. Dude, I, I've been a fan of what you've been doing for years. I feel like, what was that? Like the Mark the Mark Hunter pod? What, when was that? Like four fucking years ago? Three years ago? The, I did two with him, but the main one was, I think it was literally like my 13th episode or something. So it was yeah, probably that's, literally five years ago. That's that's when I started like catching wind of what you're doing, man. So I just, when I see like a badass artist pop in, I definitely am like the West episode that you did was fucking awesome. Um, I'm a fan of what you do, man, and, and honored to be here and be able to chat with you, dude. Oh, well, so- thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. You're, as far as I'm concerned, as about as impressive as it gets. Oh, man. In, well, well, no, because I think I come from this background of being so tied to a band and de facto my band. By the way, Dan just just went to grab his his dog, which is very cute. Yeah, she'll be she'll be doing some ASMR right on the mic, I'm sure. Yeah, you're like I feel I feel like this is like a power move, like you're trying to distract me with the power of cuteness, and it won't work, sir. All right, I'll get my dog in here and we'll have a cute off. Dude, she's she's a panty dropper, dude. If your if your pants like just blow off, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, now it's getting weird. Okay, back to the back to the regularly ske- scheduled program over here. No. I think uh, my perspective on this industry has started out so collectively oriented where everything surrounded my band and what we are doing. And it's a tough transition sometimes for uh, an individual musician when maybe that band doesn't work out. And then you have to kind of go, well, what am I doing that, that, that kind of change from we to I can be tough, right? Because within the band context, it can be regarded as selfish, right? Or it can be if you're not thinking about the team and and all that stuff, Uh, but it is what we have to do to survive. And you have uh, done an incredible job in terms of like being your own person and really being like on top of all these business aspects of what it is to kind of be a modern musician. I think you kind of exemplify that as much as, as well as anyone, in my opinion. Dude, I'm just trying to be like Misha, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, you kind of joke about that, but I, I don't think that's, you know, I've, I've had a couple of those guys on, on, on my show and, and talking about so them really being a, a trendsetter yeah. in terms of what does it mean, especially from the kind of, guitar instrumentalist standpoint and how we kind of, you know, obviously you need a high end skill set, right? Like if you're just coming in with something that's average, people aren't really going to pay attention. So that's kind of a, the thing that gets you through the door is the, is the talent and the skill. And, but then, okay, we know a bunch of talented people that maybe they don't have a following online, or maybe they aren't really on, uh, have the notoriety that that they deserve. So there's this other element of having big business acumen, being a self-starter, yep. 
learning how to kind of market yourself. Very, so. very true. Yeah, man. And I, I think that to a certain degree, like for me, I've always had kind of just these like, I'm going to use the word grandiose, even though it's almost negative, but like I've had these just like stupid ambitions ever since I was like really, really young with guitar playing. Um, and I think it's like the, the long form commitment to those things, like the undying commitment to those things that allows me to like now literally 15 years into me doing this shit. Like part of what I'm doing later in my Twitch stream is I'm going to be listening to uh, my band's very, my first band's first demo, which came out in 2006. Right. And I haven't heard it since then. And just the fact that like I was sitting there, I found it last night and I was like, damn, dude, the fact that I started then and committed this fucking far into it. And I'm now just for the first time in my life feeling like, all right, there's some stability here. There's some things that I can like build. There's opportunities about. Um, I think it really comes down to having big ambitions and looking at that as like a big ass fucking goal and then developing like the milestones or the the like step by step to get there. And I've just stayed true and like, like hard to that path. Like, I think that's really honestly probably comes across to most people as a stubborn, selfish kind of thing. Mm. Like I'm sure you probably recognize in your own life. Um, but, but, but to me, I think it's like the having a large, a large crazy ambitious idea and then being willing to break it down into a bunch of milestones and not being afraid of how many steps that takes. Yeah. So I appreciate you recognizing that man. And I, and I, definitely feel like it's something that a lot of people can apply easily but a lot of people don't because it's such a strange concept to make things attainable when you want to have something unattainable well i mean that's all perspective right attainable totally. unattainable right i think the hardest part about doing anything big right is from the perspective of when you're not big is that it seems unattainable right like it you have to have the vision yes. of kind of forecasting something that does not exist before it exists. And so that takes vision, that takes faith, right? That for takes- For sure, for sure. And, and not everyone's gonna see your vision, right? Uh, I think that so much of that is exemplified in Ice Nine Kills success because it was such a long, harrowed uh, journey. And usually when a band gets to that size and it's, the band is kind of exploding right now, people, most people do, can't see that vision. It has to kind of just manifest itself through that time. It just has to kind of, has to kind of happen. So by, by virtue of me saying that a lot of people that end up becoming very, very successful at their start of their journey probably seem delusional to other people. <laughs> yeah, I can absolutely see that getting, getting enough people to sign on board with your, with your ridiculous idea and then have them be like the legs with you is that's a challenging thing, man. That takes, leadership skills like a motherfucker yeah because usually if you were to average out all the people that have crazy ideas and go for it it usually doesn't work out so yeah you're right you're right yeah that that entrepreneurial mindset i think is a big part of what goes on with like the players that make it really really far and i don't necessarily know if like that means that the people who don't make it far don't have entrepreneurial mindsets i think there's probably there's probably a lot of i don't i like i have so much disdain for the word luck right but mm. i think there's definitely luck to me is, is a mixture of like right person right place right time and being the right person means you're prepared for when the situation arises but like i definitely think there's an air of luck because like you said earlier there are so many people who are so deserving of so much more than they have and it might be because like 
they're just afraid to go on stage. Maybe they're yeah. the sickest writer ever and they just have like some anxiety about being in front of people. And it could be something as small to someone who doesn't understand that, but that's the biggest pain point in that person's life. And that's keeping them from like becoming who they could be, you know? And it's, it's a crazy thing to just recognize that like at any point in my life, I could have made a left turn and just been somewhere else completely. Yeah. And whatever the fuck I did, all my actions and inactions led to us chilling right now and talking. It's like, it's an interesting kind of concept to take into account. But like, I'm here for it, dude. <laughs> I'm fucking here for it. So you're originally from LA? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in, in Manhattan Beach. Um, little little beach town kind of by like Hermosa. A lot of people know that area because there's a lot of bars down there. Um, and then, yeah, I, I grew up, did the whole like South Bay. Do you know Chain Reaction in Anaheim? Hell yeah. Yeah, so that was like the let's get a fucking show at Chain Reaction. Like every fucking couple of months, that was like the goal to be able to play there. So that was kind of like our scene, the whole like South Bay, uh, I guess you could say the metal scene of this area, but it was kind of like more hardcore. And my band at the time, Fallen Figure, was doing more of like a technical death metal thing. So we started doing some like small state, like out of state tours with other bands like Fallujah or like Upon a Burning Body to kind of like bring different styles to different places. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't that common. Like you fucking MySpace for, for this time was huge, man. Just being able to hit up another band and be like, yo dude, throw us on your top eight. You want to come trade some shows? Like it's a weird, it's a weird time, dude. So that was, a, that was a really, really big part of like stepping out into having confidence to go and play shows outside of my little area. Cause like, that's a terrifying thing. You're getting support of your friends and your family. And then you go out and you're like, let's see what the fuck we're worth. Hey, that's what what you're, you're, you're made of because there's no uh, no moms nearby to buy your merch or, or, or oh, clap man. along. You find out yeah. Yeah. if you're going to sink or swim. So, oh, so real. Playing in a technical death metal band, where were you developing these skill sets as a guitar player to even play that style? Were you a guy who took lessons or you self-taught? Um, it's a, it's a mixture of things. Um, the dude that I took lessons from didn't teach me like really anything that I'm using in, in like what I do. Uh, he was like a flamenco classical guitar teacher and he mm. taught me like diligence and commitment and like how to practice and like how to put the hours in and like how to get an idea out of your head. But it wasn't like, here's how to hold a pick. Here's how to sweep. Here's how to like write solos. Like nothing that I use to this day was from there. Um, so a lot of it for me was just like un unhealthily obsessing on other bands probably that I thought were doing something that could change the world, doing air quotes for those of you guys listening. Um, so to me, I kind of like began my analysis of bands to a degree like that was probably a little bit obsessive and scary. Um, and I started to just like look for the things that make someone extremely unique and stand out. And then I would try to determine what their influences were. And then I would get influenced by their influence instead of be influenced directly. Can, can you give me an example of some of these bands or, or players? Uh, yeah, dude. So like like early on, um, like Decapitated was huge on me, right? Decapitated hit me fucking square in the nose. Um, I'm back Blood Runs Black uh, covered them, right? Uh, yeah, we did. What the fuck was that? I think we did a Spears of Madness thing back, back in the day, just for fun, though. Um, and it was damn fun because those are some fucking good songs. But like the discovery of that, like I, I, I don't want to say I bypassed this, like Pantera and Dimebag did have a place in my early 
in my early on like upbringing of finding metal and shit. But when I found out that decapitated sounds like decapitated because Vogue is obsessed with Dimebag, I was like, oh, I'm fucking missing a whole page in this fuck, a whole chapter, right? So yeah. I started to dig into like what my favorite players loved. And then I would determine like ways to pull on things that I would filter certain things out, right? Like this idea of one plus one equals three is a really big part of the way that I approach music. Um, probably makes me sound really good at math, but the idea is that like you or your, your mom plus your dad equals you, right? Two completely unique separate things make something brand new altogether. So I'm constantly looking for like a strangely familiar idea and then like a strangely fresh idea. And by combining those together, it makes something semi-unique. Mm. So, so decapitated is one of those things for me. Um, Sinister Gates was fucking huge on me. That, that got me, that sent me deep into like gypsy jazz uh, and like Django and that whole world of stuff, which brought me to dudes like Emil Wurstler from Doth, you know what I mean? Who are doing like modern day gypsy jazz on metal. And I was like, fucking yes, there it is. I'm not the only one who thought that shit sounds cool. Um, Cause I, you know, in, in my immediate area, liking gypsy jazz and like Miles Davis was not fucking cool. You know, <laughs> like it, it just wasn't like me, me wearing a return to forever shirt at a death metal show didn't make sense to people. Um, so like a, a big part of it for, for me was just kind of like leaning into what I thought was unique and then figuring out how those people kind of got there. So like the whole concept of success leaves clues, people, people doing things that I thought was awesome. I would kind of just like work backwards to determine what the steps were of how they got there. And then I would apply what I could. So for me, it was recognizing that the players that I love were crazy writers, always fucking writing, always like putting out some new shit. And also all the players that I was obsessed with at the time were at such a high level of playing that I took it upon myself to where every song I wrote was impossible for me to play. And then because, <laughs> because of that, because of my fucking pride in my own shit, for me to not be able to play my own stuff was a non, that was not going to happen, right? No matter what it was, I was going to commit to figuring out how to play that thing. So every time I wrote a song, it was impossible for me to play. And then I would figure out what it was to be able to play it. Thus, like buying a, a, a pair of shoes too big, basically every time and growing into it. So like, that's a really big part of how I wrote early on. Um, my first full length record with my band Fallen Figure, uh, it's like 11 tracks, 12 tracks, something like that. I wrote it in 2008. I must've been like 17. Um, it's, it, it, it was an incredible fucking process. Cause at the time it was just me and I was doing guitar pro and you, yeah. every guitar player in the world knows the, the pitfall of guitar pro man. And that was huge for me. Rec recognizing how much work I had to do to figure out what I wrote. So you were using guitar pro to write at that time. Yes. Because I was in this situation where. It was just me. Like I was a, I joined the, I joined Fallen Figure in my junior, I'm sorry. I joined Fallen Figure in my freshman year and they were all juniors. And by the time their senior year happened, they were like, yo, fuck this. We're going to college. You could have the band. So in my sophomore year, I wrote a record and then I spent that entire summer trying to find members. Um, and that's, that's really what happened. So like that summer we went to, do you know Zach Oren by any chance? That sounds super familiar. Castle Ultimate Studios. Up in uh, Oakland. Yeah, I know. The, yeah, I know. Did he do like, um, what's the like band? Suff suffocation and like, okay. All Shall Perish. All Shall like, Perish. That's, that's where I know him from. Yeah, he, do, he does everything with like Naveen Copperweiss, like the gotcha. animosity dudes. Gotcha. He's like one of the sickest engineers ever. But we did an awesome record with him. And the amount of stress that I put on myself to like learn 
guitar left, guitar right, leads, bass. I wrote all the lyrics. I wrote all the drums and guitar pro, like all this shit, right? And I'm sitting there every fucking day teaching my guys these parts that they weren't able to perform. So I had to track all these things. Um, and that was my fault because I was the only one buying shoes too big and down, down to grow into them. That yeah. was like not what everyone else signed up for. You know what I mean? Um, so after that, I don't want to say it was embarrassing because I was able to step up and do it. But after being like in the studio and like, yo, this is fucking gnarly. This is crazy. Like it really, really, really sent me down the path of like, fuck using Guitar Pro as a tool for creation. That's a documentation tool. So then I shifted to getting Logic and an Apache Duet like we were talking about earlier. Um, and I started using the DAW as like my sketch pad. And that, that allowed me to kind of develop, I think, my sound backed with like the technique that I developed based on writing stupid shit in Guitar Pro. Does that so make sense, kind of? Yeah, and by the way, for the people that are listening to this that are not guitar players, don't know what Guitar Pro is, it's a program that essentially plays tabs, guitar tablature, in real time. So you can hear it, you can slow it down, you can see the notes, but you can also program drums, bass, horns, mm -hmm. whatever. And so you can just go on like ultimateguitar.com and just download like, oh, I want to learn Stairway to Heaven, and there'll be a Guitar Pro tab. You can download it's a it's a fantastic program i use it to uh i mainly use it to transcribe songs with bands i'm already in or if i'm learning like like when i did the mark morton solo gig i literally transcribed his whole record which is kind of funny because so <laughs> he's like i probably should send it to him so in case he has anyone else i mean it's not perfect but it was basically the, the oh, best sick. i could do without guitar stems right uh right <laughs> but, dude but it's a, it's a really it, it really was a game changer for me and it uh, as someone who does a lot of cover songs or whatever I can it just speeds up the process and it's a way for me to if I'm like let's say I'm have a another guitar player and God forbid Matt Wicklin who came in I could I'm giving him a 100% accurate representation of what it is. There's no guesswork. It's like, right. this is what it is. Right. So it's a, it's a real game changer, but I've never really written in it. I every now and again, I've uh, used it to like write to basically almost like, uh, so I remember a riff that I right. came up with, like I'll just go right. in guitar pro and here it is. But anyway. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's interesting because like what it does it removes you from being a guitar player and makes you a composer. Like there's no doubt that you writing something still means you're a composer, right? But the fact that I could do that shit in a plane on, on the way to like Europe for tour and, and like songs that landed on as Blood Runs Black's records were like literally that, like I just would write a song on a plane. Um, the fact that you could do it removed from the guitar is A, a blessing and B, really fucking stupid. Right. It's like it's like a really strange thing because it removes you from guitar centric thinking. It removes you from like those happy accidents that you have when you stumble on something when you're writing or when you're like trying to figure something out and you hit a cool note on accident. Those things don't happen in Guitar Pro. It's just what it is is what it is. And because it's so removed, it's like a little bit sterile. And I think because of that, music that comes from those things to me just feels a little bit sterile. I'm not going to sit here and say I can tell if a band wrote in Guitar Pro because that's like crazy to say. But there's there's a little bit of life that I think is lost when you do that shit. And I and I, I did it myself, man. My first record is that. And it's still a record I'm proud of. Um, to this day, people still hit me up saying like it's one of the awesome early tech death records, which is like cool as shit to hear. Um, but I know what went into it. I'm not 
I'm not pumped on how that happened. <laughs> was it brutal technical death metal or technical brutal death metal? I don't even want to use the word brutal, man. Okay. <laughs> we were heaviest. We were heavy as fuck. Well, that's a that's a Finn McCanty joke, by the way. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, Finn. Finn is Finn is my boy. That's I should have fucking caught that. Yeah, dude. Like I would say that like technical brutal death metal. That was like decrepit birth and those types of bands back then. Um, or like Aeon. Do you remember them? That, yeah. that band. I just yeah. sounded like a Texan. Remember them? Yeah. Oh Hell man, yeah. I need more fucking Great, man. They were better than shit. I need to hide this goddamn accent. So. How did you end up in as Blood Runs Black? That's an interesting question, man. Um, in that time period between uh, being, you know, the sophomore writing the record, trying to find band members, I started in that summer, I started reaching out to a bunch of people on fucking MySpace, right? Because that's what we all had. Um, I caught wind of this dude named Sonic Garcia, who was in a band, definitely not his first real name. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't think it is. Um, but he he was a sick vocalist in some other bands that I've heard. I, I'd seen him play live and he was like really engaging, you know, and you just can't take your eyes off of someone for some fucking reason. Uh, def, he just had one of those it factor things. So I reached out to him and he was the touring merch guy for As Blood Runs Black. And I sent him some of my guitar profiles. Uh, and if anyone does know what the fuck those sound like, it's like 8-bit MIDI, right? And I'm sending him like, technical death metal like check out this half this halftime brutal ass fucking breakdown into blast beats and it just sounds like mario like, <laughs> the fact that he was able to hear the gem inside of that pile of dog shit was was a special thing because not everyone can fucking do that right uh but he basically told his dudes right on that tour he's like hey guys i'm moving back to la i want to join this band i'm not going to tour anymore as a merch guy and he quit uh, which was really fucking cool. And we spent like a few months. It was just he and I trying to finalize the other members and all that shit. Um, and at this time, the drummer of As Blood Runs Black, the, the original, the main guy of As Blood Runs Black, Lech, was kicked out of his own band. Um, and Sonic and I got this wild hair up our ass to reach out to him and be like, yo, dude, like you live around us. Do you, do you want to manage us? Do you want to help us like make things happen? And he jumped the fuck at the idea because he was already digging on what we were doing. Um, and we we had like a probably like two years of awesome growth. We started doing those tours, like I mentioned before, doing we did like cattle decap tours, Fallujah, Upon a Burning Body, uh, some decrepit birth runs. Anytime that like cool ass bands would come through, we'd be getting on the shows because we had ins with like Andy from, from Fearless, who used to just be the head guy at Chain Reaction. Do you know mm -hmm. Andy Sorrell? Yeah, like. That was the dude I would hit up to get on shows when I was like 16, 17. It was, it was kind of fucking weird. Um, but yeah, that was that was sort of our thing for a while. Um, and then we we I got a, a message from Brian Slagle on MySpace, which was like maybe the coolest thing on planet Earth to be hit up by Brian Slagle. And he was like, yo, dude, me and Mike Faley have been uh, like watching you guys. We're really, really interested. We'd love to talk to you guys. Um, and we got negotiations with them. And... This is this is like this is hearsay and it's kind of like me looking back and just painting a target around a dart that was thrown. But effectively, it feels like the the, the timing of things, we turned down what was a really good deal. Uh, and then right after that, Lech was asked to rejoin as Blood Runs Black and asked me to come with him. So yeah. there's this part of me that's like, did you tell me to not do that because you wanted me and as Blood Runs Black? 
kind of kind of a weird sort of thing right because like that was conflict my fucking, of, conflict of interest a little bit a little bit and i'm i fucking love that dude to death and i have so much respect for him and it is nothing about that but i look back at that and i'm i, I definitely wonder like what would have happened you know yeah you know it's it's a, it's a cool thing that was like right at the time when Whitechapel got picked up by metal blade and job for cowboy got picked up so it was like it was a big time for that genre yeah you know so and at the time that was what death core was which was kind of interesting so like we were we would label ourselves as a deathcore band as you can imagine um and at that time as blood runs black was now called metalcore even though they were deathcore have you have you had the discuss have you have you thought about the evolution of genres how the names always are like changing oh i mean it, it, i've talked about it ad nauseum on on this show and some one of my favorite subjects to, to talk about but but listening to as blood runs black kind of pr to prepare for this to me, they were right in that kind of middle ground between the two because it was a lot of, they were one of the few bands from that era that was still kind of doing like Gothenburg style yes. riffing and yeah, melodic yeah. kind of thrash stuff mixed in with some kind of the techie uh, yeah. deathcore. So to me, they were not quite as deathcore as the job for Cowboys and, and White Chapels yeah. and Suicide Silences, but in in a way but that's what makes the band stand, stand out, out a little, yeah yeah from that it's it's, it's interesting too because like in in that time i was friends with those dudes because they like were like 40 minutes away from where i grew up but at the time that was called deathcore because what they were doing was taking like two-step hardcore like even hardcore vocals and then going into like blast beat gutturals hardcore death metal like those two things combined it's so like so on the nose that it's kind of goofy, but then bands like I think Whitechapel sort of made it like it, and now it's got to be brutal. It's going to be more heavy, more death metal, way less hardcore. What a breakdown became wasn't like a, a beat down. It was like crowd killing, which is different than what the hardcore world was. That's like pick up your fallen brothers. This was like punch a girl in the face. <laughs> it's fucked up, um, which neither of us condone here. Both of our faces just totally went stone cold. Listen, I'm. God forbid his fate has a famous video on YouTube, oh, no. a girl getting beat up at a show. So uh, that was Jersey. You know, we, we were having people act like idiots at our shows before it was cool back in yeah. the nineties, bro. <laughs> so tr trust me, any, anything in the Northeast, the, the ignorance was uh peak. Okay. Yeah, so man. I, I uh, hear that dude. We, we had a show at Virginia beach where I watched a girl's jaw just go on the side of her face like like fucking the ring or some shit it was jesus christ it was it was gnarly and we all jumped off stage and like stopped the fuck it was woo man yeah so those those shows with that scene and that genre at a, at a certain era was like pretty fucking gnarly actually that show that exact show uh kids showed up with shotguns and the police fucking like came and had to like the whole entire parking lot was like a standoff that shit was super cool, man. Cool? You you were you're excited? You're like, man, this I feel is like I'm in a, in a Lee, Liam Neeson movie. Oh man, Liam Neeson's? You know Got Liam Neeson's? <laughs> yeah, don't bring a, uh, a uh, I guess a knife to a shotgun fight. Jesus Christ! No, definitely not a drop C guitar if you need a fucking <laughs> bazooka. Well, I, I hope you were not uh, caught in the crossfire. I hope you were safe. Oh, we were behind just, a refrigerator oh, yeah, or something. We we were in the van peeling the fuck out of the parking lot, just going like Virginia Beach, man. That's, yeah, we'll be back. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds a little a little too real. But 
but no, I mean, so you were, I was looking, said you joined in 2010. So were you involved in, mm, I was in, I was involved in like 2008 and okay. it became official. It became official in like 2010. Gotcha. Um, but you were involved was, with the instinct record, the ground zero record. Yeah. 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 Um, it was a very strange time, dude. Uh, this was when this, the second record instinct was being written and the guitar player at the time just had a kid and like they were all like best fucking friends and they just decided like it made the most sense for that to be the case um so i stepped in to do a guest solo on instinct um and it wound up being a secret audition that i didn't know about yeah. and they sort of just like offered me the spot pretty soon after that shit and also we need you to write lyrics because our new vocalist can't write lyrics and i was pretty i was i was blown away to have such like an awesome opportunity up front but like at the same time I know that Lech saw my 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 grind for work, like having made the Fallen Figure record like that. So I think proof was in the pudding and I think he was able to trust me like that. But yeah, man, uh, having done those two records was was really, really cool. As Blood Runs Black's legacy is based on that first record because it was such like a, like you said, it was like the Gothenburg, death metal stuff, hardcore stuff. So at the time it was pretty, pretty monumental for the scene. So. I grew up in the scene listening to that record. So having like been able to step into that and join the band on the second record, which was let, let's just call it uh, the, the metal Chinese democracy. Cause that's really what the fuck it was. Cause it was like so it, long to come together. Yeah. Like yeah, allegiance was, was out for like seven years or some crazy shit. And like, everyone was like, what the fuck? And members were always in and out. And then I joined and it stabilized. Um, and I forgot to say this and I brought Sonic. So we had one vocalist, skipping a piece of information here. We had one vocalist, I don't need to say names. Uh, we had one dude who won, we did ABRB audition. It was like American, no, it was ABRB Idol. It was like American Idol to find a vocalist. And we okay. had like 10,000 fucking videos sent in. It was literally, literally we had like 10,000 plus videos sent in. It was fucking terrifying. Jesus uh, Christ. And we spent months going through all of these shit and just categorizing them. And there was a few dudes who are doing things like now to this day that we like could have picked up, which is sure. kind of an interesting thing to see. But we chose this dude who did not have anything that we needed. Uh, he moved out to San Pedro, was living in our fucking practice space and uh, would blow out his voice every day during sessions within like a line. And then he would leave and then I would secretly go in and re-record oh, so, the line. So, so y'all fucked up. You had 10,000 and you, 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 yeah, it's like that, it. that, that scene from Indiana Jones goes, you chose poorly. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we definitely should have gone right. And we went left. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was a, that was a strange fucking time, man. So we, there, it was, it was, a, so he would leave all fucking frustrated, his voice blown out. And then I would go and retract vocals and he wouldn't know that I was retracting them. So there was like, there was a moment where I was almost also the vocalist for Splinter's Black, which is shouldn't have fucking happened. Um, and then we went on our first tour. We were supposed to finish the record with him, and that didn't happen mm -hmm. because he was so. It was literally like a line a day with this guy. Uh, we go on the first tour with him, and within like two weeks, he becomes an alcoholic. Never was a drinker before. Within two weeks, he's like, "I can't perform unless I'm shit faced," and we're just like, "Dude, this is not gonna work for you, man." Um, and he, he just, he quit in the middle of tour. And I was like, yo, Sonic, my old vocalist, your old merch guy is the shit. And we just flew him out and he became our vocalist. And then we went and finished instinct after that tour. Um, 
and yeah, like I, I, I totally backed the fuck off because Sonic's vocals are sick and I just helped him write the lyrics and we just, we just wrapped it up like that. But where, where what the fuck am I even answering? Who, who no, no, I? I just, uh, <laughs> I think, listen, it was a little rant, but that's all right. Rants happen. I do, it's I do totally fine. Totally fine. No, I'm just interested because it was a weird time. My perspective kind of trying to observe what was going on in the scene because essentially God forbid it was kind of falling off, but a lot of that was in conjunction with that scene uprising, right? It was this change in the guard in terms of what young people who are into heavy music, extreme music were getting into. Yeah. We kind of felt like old news and this was this, this new scene. I remember it was, you know, his brothers and was runs black winds of plague was doing yep. really well at this, th yep. this time. Uh, Suicide silence was huge. Yeah. And, but I remember just hearing like, dude, these, these kids are out there. These MySpace bands are, they're selling out all their shows. They're just crushing it. And it seemed like, and uh, as Brother Rose Black was also on Central Media. So they were, you know, kind of keeping. We, we all, we all, we were with Media Scare. Media Scare, who Central Media bought Media Scare. Yeah. We, 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 there was a moment where we were about to like be official with Century and it just yeah. sort of fell through. But we always, we had that relationship. It was under them. the um, umbrella. But, yeah. But totally. so, so, so the band was on, on my mind and I heard the band was doing really well. And it seemed like the band was doing well, was there. And then all of a sudden the band didn't exist. And I didn't, I never knew what happened if the band fell off or if just personal things happened. I just never knew why the band seemed to kind of be like kicking ass for a minute. And all of a sudden right. the band wasn't around. Yeah. I mean, cur currently I'm, I'm catching some, some waves that they're like, they're kicking shit up again. Like they yeah. they started jamming again with Ernie, the original guitar player, um, Letch and Nick, the bass player and the drummer are like, back together again riffing and jamming i don't know what they're they're cooking up dude but whatever the fuck it is is going to be awesome because those guys that's another band where there's like a vision no one understands it no one backs it so like lech the drummer wrote this entire record most of the music himself as well found guys to it was really it was like the exact fallen figure situation where he was just like all right no one believes in this i'm gonna make it happen i'm gonna bring in the guys to do it um but effectively I sort of look at this like a I don't I don't even know the best way to even say it. Maybe like we made some some business decisions that I think put us in a situation where we kind of got like circled and separated and kind of like drained, you know what I mean? Like we we sort of got put in a place where we signed some deals that took a lot of control away from us and like some of those people that we were we we had committed to in contracts weren't coming through on their end of the deal and it kind of just got to a place where like with years and years and years of that happening where we called it the abrb curse like we inside of the band were always just like cool there's another fantastic tour that for some reason like passed over us there's some other reason why like our merch isn't fucking here and we have to do three weeks without merch like there was always just some like, weird shit going on um so i feel like it was basically lech was the leader of the band and he was a fantastic fucking leader but i think it just came down to like getting in bed with a few people that had their own agendas. And I think that sort of took away the power and desire from, from each of the band members to put everything they had into it. Um, and then like, I don't even know how to say this necessarily, but like Lech, Lech and Nick like were and are the heart of the band, but I was, I was the writer of yeah. the band. Um, and in 2016, I believe is the year that I left. Um, it's when my mom's brain cancer got so bad that I just was like, I got to, I don't want to not be here anymore. Like I missed out on nine years of spending time with her. I want to be her caregiver for the last 
less amount of time. Uh, so I left and they didn't do anything since then. And I don't think that has to do with the fact that like they needed me. I think it was just like, I may have brought light to the fact that like things haven't been going well. They probably just wanted to recover and get like some real life shit going. And that's probably why they're kicking back right now. And I'm yeah. super, I'm super stoked to see that, man. That's like a, such a nostalgic sound that they still have. Like when they post little clips of them riffing, I'm just like 2005. I miss you, man. This is sick. Well, I mean, I was just looking at the Spotify. There's, the Spotify numbers are actually really strong for really? the the last couple. Of, yeah, I mean, every song has several hundred thousand plays. You know, awesome. even awesome. you know, so it's pretty consistent. Even though it seems like the first record is the most popular, but these things come in cycles, and I think, and sometimes a bit, certain bands almost become cooler with age, and especially if you don't. If you kind of you were there and all of a sudden you're gone and people go, what's happened to that band? I wish they would come back. And so I I think it's kind of amazing actually now how careers can just persist, you know, uh, yeah. through through different machinations. So I, I think the band probably definitely still has an audience if they want to come back and do so. I dude, I would I would love to see that happen, man. Those those dudes like put in such an insane amount of work for so many fucking years. And I was a part of that for like probably like 80% of what happened. But like that first 20% is where all of that shit happened. That's where it kicked it off. Right. So like you're saying, man, allegiance is, is the staple for sure. That's what people are going to hold on to is like the, the legacy that that band had. Um, But instinct for instance, was like a different format of record. And then ground zero was even further down that path. That's when I, I brought in the original vocalist of my band. So it's kind of fucking weird. So fallen figure, was this dude named Sonic before him, the vocalist of that band that left to, to go to college. His name was Chris Bartholomew. He was the original vocalist of Fallen Figure. After Sonic left as Blood Runs Black, I was like, well, let's hit up Chris, my other Fallen Figure vocalist. And he joined uh, and he's like, he's like a Jesse Leach, just like insane screams, like sing to me, dude, like make me cry, like, the, the, like that kind of shit, right? And he just had good looking motherfucker buff he just has he's got like the that star power shit so we were just like you know what let's try let's try that let's try that for this new record um and so i would say ground zero was far more metalcore while also being more on like the technical side yeah like the stuff that i was like super into so i was trying to combine like those two things a little bit of kill switch a little bit of like black dahlia those, sure. those sort of vibes um and that that record sort of solidified the band in a in a different light but also we were we were then called justin bieber metal because he looked like justin bieber you know so it's like fuck it dude people are gonna hate and i and i I think these records too like i I checked out instinct um a few months ago and it still has some juice i haven't checked out ground zero in a while because that was such a negative fucking experience i mean just Uh, just a being them just now i feel like ground zero in my opinion, is a little feels like a step forward. Yeah, that was so instinct was written with Ernie, the original guitar player, he wrote like, the songs and the riffs. And then I came in to track the riffs, he couldn't play, write the solos, and then finish up like structure and, and lyrics and shit. So instinct is it has Ernie's print on it, right? Ground yeah. Zero is like, that's my canvas, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. why it's like, needlessly technical for no reason other than watch this. <laughs> So 2016, though, you know, in conjunction with the fact that you were no longer playing with uh, as Blood Runs Black, also you put out your first solo EP, Center Sun. Mm. 
was that something, I mean, considering what you were dealing with, with your mother and stuff, I'm sure there was some outlet you needed or something to kind of channel some of this trauma and everything you're dealing with. That's, that's exactly what it was. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there i don't think it overstates things to say that the beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. That tour, that last tour that I was on, it was actually the headliner album release tour for Ground Zero. I remember just like sitting in in the, I almost said bus, it was a bandwagon. I remember like sitting in the bandwagon, laying in my fucking bunk, bouncing around um, and being like, I need to fucking write a solo record. Like I had these riffs and these ideas in my head and I wrote like 40 to 50 songs probably for Ground Zero and like, I think out of the 11 tracks on there, I think like nine of them are my songs. So like the amount of songs that I wrote for the record just to get like a passing or a failing grade just made me feel like I don't want this to be the only place that I'm turning in my papers to, right? Like I want to turn in papers somewhere else and then be the person that grades them as a good or bad one. So I just started thinking about having to do this shit. And then literally on the last day of that tour, my dad calls me to let me know my mom's tumor came back for the third time. They couldn't operate. And they gave us like an expiration date. And I was like, I literally like walked out of the bandwagon and was just like sat down and was like, all right, I'm fucking, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and effectively, I want to say I took like a day or two after that tour to just kind of like assess what the fuck was going on. And then I decided to just journal some music. And I wrote mm-hmm. those six songs in a week. I wrote a song a day effectively. And it was about capturing moments in time and capturing my like grieving process and like coming to understanding that I'm not going to have my mom forever. Uh, and, and it really, really, really boiled down to like 
sitting down to do the work and finding a way to dig into myself to emote things. And this is where I really found like my sound and style. Like before when I was saying guitar pro, like taught me how to be technical and play things. I wrote these songs and I was like, and, and all of my riffs I would write from like an improv kind of standpoint. Like I want something that feels like this, put the drums down, tighten up the riff. And then I put it upon myself to just improvise leads over the entire fucking song. And I would structure shit as I kind of saw fit. But that's where that shit came from. It was a journaling process to help me get through it. And actually, I'll see if I get back to this piece, but cycling back a little bit, the, the, the closing track on that record, Cosmosis, the song featuring Angel Vivaldi, who's a very good friend of mine. I'm pretty sure you know, you know Angel as well, right? Oh, um, go way back. It's my homie. Yeah. Jersey. That's my, that's, that's my, oh, yeah, dude. That's right. That's right. Jersey, all right. Oh, it's a different. It's a different connection, all right. You you understand that we got sandwiches and stuff. It's a different thing. Isn't it a hoagie? Don't you mean a hoagie? No, we don't call that. We call it subs in subs. Jersey. All right, good. good. A hoagie's like Pennsylvania and shit, right? Probably. I, so. I don't. I don't listen. I don't know where the, the way the cavemen speak. <laughs> right, pop. You mean soda? Fuck off. <laughs> um, where was I? Now Vivaldi. Food. Vivaldi. Vivaldi uh why did i bring up angel because he guessed it on the track oh okay right so i actually wrote this song do you know diego farias from volumes uh yeah but didn't he pass away yeah yeah i met so, him only once but yeah yeah he was like a fucking ray of light in a shitty fucking world man like that guy was unbelievably inspiring and talented and, and like younger than me. Right. So as blood runs black took volumes out on tour, he was like 16 and I was like 18 and every day he and I would just like pull up our laptops. Either if, if the, if the green room was fucked, we would go and sit in the fucking trailer and like make a little setup and we would just riff and write songs together just completely for fun. Um, and after that tour happened, I went to his house. He invited me over like late as fuck. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he was a night owl. He invited me over and we wrote a song uh, probably like nine hours straight. I think I left the next day at like 7.30 a.m. Um, and we wrote that song, Cosmosis, together. And it was written under the impression of we were going to start a band together called Center Sun. Mm. Um, and we sat on it for a while. We had a couple different vocalists we were talking to. Um, and then volumes really started to pick up. And he, he reached out to me. He was like, yo, dude, like, you need to be doing what Tosin's doing. You need to just like take this fucking song you need to just fucking solo on it and make it like an instrumental thing. And I was like terrified to do it. And he pushed me to have that confidence to like step into doing instrumental shit. So had he not said that shit before I left for that tour where I was like, I need to leave and do solo music. I never would have even had the thought. So Diego is like the catalyst of everything that I'm doing right now with my instrumental shit. And I miss that dude so fucking much, man. I learned so much from that guy. Um, it's interesting that you, you say that because it, when I listened to it, I was like, it sounded more genty kind of prog in that in that vein, yeah. you know, which was a, a marked difference from what you were previously doing. Yeah, that was that was me hearing everything going on with instrumental shit and being like, all right, so like everyone's doing like a little bit more of like a groove sort of fucking syncopation thing. Let me let me play around with that and see what happens. Right. So that record, though, Center Sun has, I guess genty type things like that last track for sure but it also has some very just technical death metal shit too um like the song outspire the song uh disorder the song triage like those are all very like blasty phrygian dominant 
really, really dark and heavy shit. But that song, Cosmosis, is like open and airy and like breathy. Uh, pretty sure it's just in a major key. Like I, I wanted to just try something completely different. But yeah, man, that that idea is is was a really, really big him him pushing me to like have confidence in my playing enough to do that would not have fucking happened if he didn't push me. So I gotta thank Diego from the bottom of my fucking heart for that. Um and in that same time period, I actually volumes and animals as leaders were looking for a drummer. And I was like, well, I just left my band Fallen Figure to be in as Blood Runs Black. I've never in my life worked with a better drummer than Nick Ursich. So go and tell Tosin that that Nick Ursich is available. And Diego heard Nick and was like, fuck this, I'm I'm taking Nick. And Nick's <laughs> been in volumes for like seven, eight years now. So it's like a very, very cool thing to see that the musicians that I was working with at the time have been able to move forward. Our bass player, Carlos Ariola, fucking unbelievable bassist. He was in a band called Abysmal Dawn, if you remember them. Yeah. Like I haven't even said that name for like a decade, it feels like. Is that is that about right with timeline? It's like 10 years old. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that feels that was a century band, right? I think they were on century. Again, I think you know you're 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 just throwing yes, trivia dude. at me. Yeah, and I'm dude. like I know the band name. I don't, you know I don't I don't I'm not you know the the super fan. I didn't sign up to their newsletter, but right, right, right. Well, that was I, you. That was your bad, dude. It was, it was a good newsletter. That I didn't one know they I needed out. to do abysmal dawn homework for this thing. You know what, man? I, 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 T, Mr. Sugarman is has arrived, and you're you're tardy to class, my guy. Sugarman, you're not Sugarman. Sugarman. Okay, dude. If, when I get called Mr. Sugarman, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna lose it. That's when I've just become an old guy. Has anyone yeah. called you Mr. Coyle? I mean, I'm fine with that. That's a I, weird. I, that's I, a I weird. Want, one, I want man. respect. I want motherfuckers to salute me when I walk through the door. Mr. Mr. Coyle, sir. That's sir. Fucking god, man. I want I want a bunch of unearned <laughs> respect. <laughs> Drop down and give me twenty dollars. I, I really need some money. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but but this this time period, kind of in between, which is which is your true, I guess, X Man phase. Yeah, because it was a period of time where I suppose you were going to make sure you were establishing yourself as your own entity. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, and so we we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the show of you kind of having a vision and having a focus and a work ethic and kind of wanting to achieve certain things and having a kind of will to do that. Was that extremely focused from kind of the time of the release of that EP or is it something that kind of developed slowly and naturally over a period of time? I always knew, like, like probably right when I joined Fallen Figure, uh, that having a safety net below me to fall onto was like nothing that I was into. Right. So like I, I decided super early on that having like fallback plans and plan B's would just make me like you were saying earlier, dude, that's multitasking. A plan B means I'm putting some of my eggs in another basket. Yeah. And, and though that's a really, really smart thing to do from like a business standpoint, from like an achieving something that's unconventional standpoint, I wouldn't say that works the best. Uh, one, one of my favorite pieces of advice is that I ever, heard is the idea of conventional wisdom comes from conventional people who do conventional things and get conventional results mm. and nothing we fucking do is conventional so why subscribe to that like that thought that just is going to fuck us right so go to school have have a backup plan like all of those things like if you if you're hearing this and you want to go to school go to school right that's not what i'm saying but for me um i had an opportunity to 
go to either MI or Berkeley or join as Blood Runs Black at the time. And I decided everyone who goes to these schools says if you graduate, you fail and you succeed if you drop out to join a band, right? And they all they want to do is join a band that can tour internationally. Why would I pass up an internationally touring band to go to school for the hope of joining that? So I just joined the School of the Road instead of that shit. And I learned the hard long way. And by seeing that type of work ethic, that like grinding in the mud sort of work ethic, as opposed to hearing about people, what it could be like when you're in the industry from like a lecture or some shit. Yeah. It was just a completely different school in Knox for me. So like, I want to say that when I left as Blood Runs Black, the, the decision to do the solo stuff was not entirely based on like the emotional outlet I needed. Like I also was like, this is my moment to establish myself as a musician not just the guy that was in as blood runs black. Right. So, uh, in 2016, I had this crazy fucking idea and this was actually, did I start that in 2017? Yeah. Okay. So, so center sun came out in 2016. Is that, is that correct? You, you mm -hmm. have that timeline. I, was like, right. I do, you, you know, more than I do, man. You should, you should tell me to study on me. You take notes, bro. Yeah. Right. Man, Professional. And you also say big words that I don't know. So this is good. There um, are similitude. <laughs> Copious. Copious. Yes. Uh, Schmegma. That's a good one. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'm not into any of that shit. But effectively, dude, like I... How do I even want to say this? It's a, it's a strange thing to talk about, but I had these crazy ideas of I wanted, I wanted to create a different sort of like platform and way of connecting with with people that were supportive of me. Like I wanted, I wanted to take people that were like fans and like turn them into like homies and like family mm. and get like, like connected and get closer and like have a deeper relationship with them. So I, I was one of the first, if not the first, um, Patreon guy to use it to release music. So in 2017, I think it might've started in 2016. I don't remember exactly when it started. Uh, but I started doing what I called inside out the living album. And I would make um, one song a month featuring a different artist and like document the whole thing and do like a playthrough and like a podcast of like me with the artist. Um, and the whole idea with that was to bring people along for the journey was to have a way to have like continual relevance in the process of making my shit. Cause like 30 days, you know, and then, and then on 10 days before my drop in 10 days coming soon, like I'm, I'm not going to do that like ambiguous hype shit for my stuff. Like I want to bring, bring people into it. Um, and it propelled itself into being this thing where like I had hundreds of people in supporting this thing. And then they would, they basically became my street team because they were like so invested in what I was doing, helping me make choices on like the album or like the song title or what artist I would use or what charity I was donating to that month. So there was like, it was that family, that culture I was trying to create. Um, and that's sort of what propelled me into just being like, super into the community building aspect of things. And I think that's where it kind of put my head on the notion of building these places to like house people and being able to like connect with them directly is really what I think propelled me to think in a different way, which is probably what I think you're pointing at as like the thing that I do a little bit different. Um, well, I think you're, you're, you're ahead of the curve in terms of understanding that maybe the job of a modern musician is not really what it used to be, which was it used to be was you make records, you go on tour. That was your job. 
Yeah. And now it's actually your job is to be a content creator, mm -hmm. whatever that means, right? Whatever format that takes. And part of that business is kind of being uh, connected to whatever your audience is and opening up and kind of creating this kind of back and forth type of uh, just uh, relationship and bringing them into your whole thing. And so to me, like you, not like you were the only person doing that, but you were definitely one of, you know, a handful of, of people that understood so that intrinsically, which a lot of us probably didn't fully understand that until the pandemic, right? When we had to be at home and the yeah. only way we could connect with fans was through Patreon or through uh, Twitch or through these other formats. Mm -hmm. So it's like you were just ahead of the curve on that and you kind of get it and it's something you naturally do. And so that's why I'm, I'm jealous because me, I'm still... I feel like every time there's some shift, I kind of, I deal with it kicking and screaming because my, the heart of it is I'm like this, in my heart, I'm an old school motherfucker who just wishes it was this whole thing where I could just, my here's my life and it's private. And then I make yeah. music and I put out records, but I, like many other people, you have to evolve or you will, it's a sink or swim business, right? And that goes to your band that goes to you as an ind individual entity, all that stuff. So, yeah, I just, I just think you kind of, uh, whether you helped cultivate what that position is or a part of a, a group of people that co help cultivate it, it's just, it's exactly what people need to be doing, you know? Yeah, I yeah think. man. I, I, first of all, I really appreciate you saying that. That means like a fuckload to hear. Um, for me, it sort of happened early on when as blood runs black would like go on tour with these bands that i would look up to and i would see the way that they would interact with people and it fucking pissed me off like if i if i was a fan and i wanted to meet x dude from x band i have an expectation like the whole uh what, what is the saying like don't meet your heroes kind of idea yeah, they'll disappoint you yeah it's like such a fucked up idea like why is that the case you know what i mean so like i I've been saying this shit for probably like close to a decade now, but I have like a saying, remove the barricade. It's mm. the idea that like I try to exist on tour, not like that, not, not behind a fucking barricade, behind a wall, behind like a hood, like the whole um, ambiguous enigma thing works so well for so many fucking people. But like my brand and who I am is about being like accessible and being super fucking real, like to the degree where like on my first Patreon, the the inside out part one album like my mom passed away before i finished the sixth song mm. and like my entire community was like dude like they were devastated for me they're like don't take as much time as you fucking need there wasn't like the dude but we're paying for a song this month like the fact that i'm bringing them in on like what the fuck i'm dealing with means that there's a human level of connection and like to me that makes me feel like i can be an artist more i don't need to put on like a an air of machismo or an air of like nothing affects me because the things that affect me cause me to make music and that's what draws people towards hearing my music right so why would i hide where that comes from yeah kind of kind of a strange thought but like it really comes down to like i'm a huge fan of transparency and i really think that's that's what this whole thing is about for me yeah and uh and i and i do think that's at the heart of just 
I, I guess to some degree, right? Like some artists, if you're big enough, right? If you're fucking Mick Jagger, right? You don't have to create some bridge between yourself and the fans. It's understood you're Mick Jagger and I'm the fan. And right. that's kind of right, where right. it ends. But I think your methodology, um, that's, I mean, even a band like Metallica has always been like that with their fans. Like if you were signed up for like the So What fan club, like they would, they would have this like newsletter and it would be like almost like journals from like the guys in the band, like really intimate, like Metallica has always been an open book type of them. band. They've done, they do these meet and greets uh, on the, just the regular Metallica shows with their, the, the, the people from the fan club. And it's super personal and they, and it, it's something that they really understand. Like these are the people, they're your lifeblood. They're the ones that uh, are the reason why you're at where you're at. And if you don't create that connection and, and really give them that time and that energy and all that stuff that it, that that's, if you water those plants, they will flourish. Yeah, man. And, and this, this might be for me completely, but like turning people into like a profit margin, I think is like a dangerous a dangerous thing but like once you you recognize that like you're in service to these people i think it kind of changes some shit like the reason why i made this song is to help me get through something and i'm pretty fucking sure that me me instilling that frequency into this song means that on the other side of the speakers my, my music becomes a mirror for you so you're just going to see yourself and your own trauma through that shit right mm. when you're listening to it especially especially with instrumental music i don't have a lyric saying like I'm sad because my mom, like it's a different fucking thing, right? Um, the amount of unsolicited messages I get where like my music is touching someone who's going through something that's similar to what I went through without them knowing what I went through is fucking weird. So to me, I think there's something about like being your real self and putting your real self in the music creates like, like a magnet for people to be drawn towards that. And I think that every time that happens, like I have something to learn from that person. There's something that me and that person have in common that there's something to share. So like, it's not that I'm doing this connection to like raise my profit this year. It's that like, I'm looking to connect with more humans. Cause like there's shit to learn. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like I obviously dude, this needs, this needs to be successful enough for me to be able to pay for my internet bill. I need to be able to put food on my, in my dog's bowl. Like I'll, I'll eat when I can eat, but like if she can eat, I'm happy. So those things obviously matter, but to me, it's the putting myself in service that allows me to like not make myself first. Like I'm, I'm not worried about feeding myself first, about providing something. And then, then the return is something that like just kind of occurs. Um, and I know it's kind of a crazy, almost ethereal bullshit, spiritual thing to say, but like, I truly feel like putting myself in service of people allows me to be my best self without being like, selfish or cocky or like even just bringing expectation like it just whatever happens i'm fucking stoked on you know what i mean because if my ego brought was brought in i'd be pissed that i didn't sell x amount of cds or why didn't i make this this quota in my merch sales this month you know what i mean yeah but i mean just kind of hearing you your your perspective is pretty unique and wise i guess to some degree in my estimation like wise beyond your years uh to kind of i'm 58 uh, dude <laughs> you said but the thing is like i hear these things and i'm like you know what the hair's getting long the beard's coming out maybe dan is jesus okay <laughs> that's what i'm thinking how them abs come in all right yeah dude did you just have an app he has abs he's fit as fuck. jesus was fucking ripped 
All right. <laughs> Have you ever been to a Catholic church? Jesus is fucking <laughs> ripped. Dude, all he's right. got those. What are they, what do they call those? Cum gutters? Is that what they call them? Diesel cum gutters. All right. Yeah, dude. <laughs> All right, we think we just got canceled by somebody right there. That's that's um, all. That's all good, man. I'm Jewish, also, so yes. that's okay. Jesus you know was who's also Jewish. Jesus, Jesus. yes, so man. That's that's more evidence in the column that you are Jesus than not. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, so you yeah. didn't help yourself there. Yeah. And and cum gutters are genetic, so you can imagine. All right, all right. Listen, I'm just. This is getting real salacious here. Uh, <laughs> Let and, me pull up that Webster dictionary of salacious. Is that what the T I O S, dude? <laughs> Yeah, that's not T-O-U-S? Words, salacious words just. work. Actually, I'd be a good name for a stripper. Hello, my name is Salacious. <laughs> salacious. Yeah, I Man. would uh I'd pay for that. Yeah. I'd buy that for a dollar. No, but but <laughs> I, I I do think your mentality, it's kind of like I totally connect to that. I don't think I always live up to those standards that I would want for my for myself, but I think you're just you've got it you've got it locked down man and i think people whether uh you know whether someone kind of coming up or someone even at equal level or above i mean i think there's a, i think we can all learn a lot from what you're you're saying there because i think that is the best way to approach it in my in, in my opinion because especially right now right you're in a situation with einstein kills where i really you know as soon as i listened to the new record i was like and the band was already kicking ass but when i heard the record i was like this band's gonna take the leap to that next level uh which doesn't happen that often and i'm sure there's probably a lot that comes with that when you're a part of it where all of a sudden you're getting more attention and your people are treating you maybe different or all of a sudden they you know people want more things from you and it's kind of like how do you deal with that rock star thing right uh, as it approaches you and go, how do I maintain who the fuck I am? It's a really, really good question, man. And it's fucking, it's fucking weird, dude. Like literally the other day, first, first of all, I am forever loser ass Dan Sugarman who like takes, <laughs> who takes three shits in the morning and like, like stubs my toe. Oh yeah, dude. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm the same idiot that we all are. Right. But like, like just the other day in the mail, I got a uh, an invite to the Celebrity Center of Scientology. What? Nice, yeah, nah, dude. I, I made just it. go for the free food, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I told that to Spencer. He's like, dude, just wear your 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 yarmulke and just show up and just like. <laughs> dude, I'm just saying. I I'm just thinking it's gonna be a good spread. A lot of seafood. A lot of. Seafood. <laughs> yeah, dude. Do they? No, that's Mormon. I was going to say they probably have some weird dietary shit. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking when you're trying to like really get people in, you need like shrimp cocktail <laughs> and like things like, I just think that's like, you're like, yo, this is, this spread is serious. Right, right. It's not going to be like a fucking, like a shitty motel breakfast spread with like, no, they're going to, they're trying to get you for life, son. Especially if it's the celebrity thing, because that's basically how they've, maintained all their their statures is just getting their actual user rate is pretty low but they they just get some big name celebrities and that kind of keeps keeps the money flowing anyway enough about scientology and, and it keeps it keeps the illusion up i'm sure but yeah dude like there's that shit going on and i look at that shit and it makes me fucking laugh because like like i'm i'm sitting there with fucking spinach in my teeth like a like you're calling me a fucking celebrity dude like fuck off this is ridiculous uh 
And then simultaneously, like one of my favorite things in the world is getting messages from people and then responding. And then the response back is, holy shit, like I did not think you would see this. Yeah. And like that, like I, I love that shit. You know what I mean? Um, being human and being accessible, I think, is like what this is about. And if I was to like seal myself off from that shit, you know, you know, like the whole world of putting yourself in like an echo chamber with like mo- like 2021 beliefs. Like if you're just like listening to all the same crazy political shit, like yeah. you're going to just go nuts. Right. Sure. Like I think, I think there's a big part of that. Like if you seal yourself off from that, like actual real appreciation and interacting with it. And if you're just getting those things all the time and just being like, yeah, I know, dude, I don't need to respond. Like, I think that goes somewhere probably. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, dude, like for me, there's like a humility and like a humbleness that comes from like, responding to anyone who says anything fucking nice and i'll even i'll even respond to people who say shit that's shitty and i'll be like dude i appreciate your opinion sorry sorry bummed you out (laughs) like like it doesn't doesn't bother me man like this is about just the the human experience so like to me really comes down to just having fun and being accessible and i think that might be the easiest way for me to just pinpoint my shit having fun and being accessible yeah, well, I think it's I think it's fantastic, but it, we've gone through this whole interview. We barely talked about Ice Nine Kills, which is kind of crazy because, <laughs> like I said, the band is exploding. And a congratulations, by the way, just on the big first week. Oh, man, and so much, dude. I, you know, even just me, I'm like looking at the street, like the streams are out of control Insane. for the record. Yeah, uh, and that there's all these things, uh, metrics, right? And I'm such a behind the scenes kind of guy with that stuff. And, and I'm good friends with Mike Mowry, who is your guys manager. And he's, mm-hmm. he works with me on the, with the podcast network and stuff. So I'm, I'm I've been close kind of adjacent with the band as things have kind of, kind of come up. So I've just been following it and seeing the trajectory is just super inspiring. And then also just the kind of musical, uh, the artistic aspects of things was going on with the band, the, imagery and the co- the concepts um it's just so cool it's just like a cool thing for for the scene to have a band that's doing something fucking different and people are actually connecting to it in a big way yeah dude i i haven't ha- I haven't had this thought it just kind of bubbled like right now but like where where labels for so many fucking years have been looking at that 360 deal idea and kind of just like operating from all angles i feel like we are a 360 band Mm-hmm. I feel like we try we try to operate from like all angles. We're thinking about the media, the music, the imagery, the visuals that go along with it as far as like animations or video, how we interact on stage and off stage. Like I feel like there's just a very, very complete total understanding of like how we need to operate inside of this this area. And I think that really, really comes down to having such an effective and awesome team and also having a band full of members that just know what to do. Like we we're all seasoned from different places and we've all come together in this, in this lineup. And it's been solid as shit for, I want to say over three years now, uh, when Joe and I joined and replaced the last guys, everything kind of like re-solidified and we got super fucking close. So I think like us firing on all cylinders comes down to having a deep understanding of each other from the team specifically to the band specifically, the way we communicate all together, like, like up and down the chain is just really, really fine tuned and well-oiled. And I think all of that has to do with the success that's happening right now. On top of like what you said before, Spencer's been at this shit for like, this is a 20 year old band. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Spencer's been building towards this for so long. It's amazing. 
it's it's fucking it's fucking amazing i am so honored and privileged to be like at the point with with this turn that's happening you know what i mean and i i would never i i give it up to spencer man like his his vision and his ability to execute is like next level it's just next level dude well in 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 a weird way it kind of i think it's emblematic of the environment we're in which is like i think it's a little hard to for a band to break these days without something you know beyond like it's hard to just be like oh this band has a good song or this band has this i think there has to be a story there has to be uh an angle right look at that band star set they have this whole spaceman kind of sci-fi thing yep. or even you look at it like nothing more and then when they play they have this crazy machine that does i don't even know what the hell it's called the scorpion it's shooting fire it's I don't, it's crazy right i don't know hell? actually i don't think there's fire but there might as well be but the point is it's it's kind of emblematic of the, of, of the era but even within that I, I i do think it stands on its own when you joined the band was the kind of horror concepts solidified beforehand or is that something that was developed because you joined before the silver scream right i joined for the silver scream support I joined like the right touring. after, yeah, right gotcha. after it came out. Um, and it wasn't necessarily solidified. Like the, it was ha- it was happening already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guitar player before me, JD, big fucking shoes to fill. Fucking amazing writer and player. Um, sorry, my dog's whining. Uh, what the fuck was I just saying? My dog just cuteness you, kills, dude. You, you were saying how your dog. Yeah, my dog. On the record, and then you yeah. replace the dog with. Oh, I remember what I was saying. Okay, so, um, thanks for bringing me back, man. That's exactly what I needed. I love it. Uh, That's what I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm your anchor. So, so Moro, the bass player, started doing like, like face paint and wearing all this terrifying shit, and then the guitar player JD started wearing the Jason mask, and Spencer started wearing like different types of like jackets and having weapons. So it like slowly started to happen, and then uh, when when Joe and I joined, I think in like right when 2019 happened. I think it was like the first two months of 2019. That's when it was like a solidified thing. Like when we had the first meetings, it was like, what are some characters from some movies you might be down to dress as? What would be like some? So it became like a full blown top to bottom thing at that point. And before then, it was like it was leading towards that. But at that point is when it was like super solidified where we were all dressing as different characters our VIP sessions went to like being, it was like horror trivia, like every, everything just went extreme towards that direction. And it was, it's been such an awesome ride, dude. Like seeing the reaction from that shit is nuts. Like people show up in costumes, like it's a Halloween show. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's a different culture, man. The, the yeah. horror fan base is, is rabid. It's really well, cool. And listen, I would say when you have a great concept visually with a band or something, whether it's Slipknot or, ghost or anything like that that the the concept will definitely get people through the door but the only way it'll last if you have great songs right and i think the band just just writes fucking really great songs and the one thing i noticed about the new record was the the first thing it reminded me of was like i felt like i was listening to like a rock opera or something and i don't know if you you do you know that i mean you're you're a um sinister gates guy so it reminded me a little bit of that track, uh, "Little Piece of Heaven" 
from uh, Avenged, which is yes. like the kind of Danny Elfman inspired. Yeah. But it seemed like, but that was one song on their record. And it seemed like you guys, even though not, not like the record sounds like Danny Elfman to me, but it has these really Big kind influence. of, yeah, but a lot of ambitious kind of chord progressions and uh, just things that sound very grandiose, right? With the instrumentation, with the storytelling. Um, and it's, so it's actually like really interesting to listen to musically out, right? Because, you, you know, if you listen to songs on the radio, it's very standard, like chord progressions and this. So it, it had right. this kind of, oh, here's this like Baroque section or something that'll feel like that'll be off like a Mr. Bungle record or something yeah um but and then the other thing that it reminded me of was like was my chemical romance and that last record black parade totally but combined with those metalcore deathcore elements and it was like and i was like man that's kind of cool because the thing, the thing that's kind of bugged out is my chemical romance also jersey band shout out is Shit, yeah they're a band that was super popular when they were out they were playing like arenas and Madison square garden but they've actually gotten more popular since they've broken up right yeah and so it's like what happens a lot of times with uh in the, in the music industry is a band will get really successful and that band will either break up or change their sound and it'll create a gap in the marketplace where people still want that thing from someone right point man and so it's like i don't know if it was intentional i think it's just part of it is just i think just the way spencer sings he's more like he has that kind of post-punk kind of warp toward just the sound tonality of his voice and the the melodies that they write and it's kind of up tempo and then you combine that with all these other things i'm like damn this is just it's just fucking cool and it's fun it's like it's you know you know what i'm saying you know like how many records in metal like they're cool, they're heavy, but they're not fun. <laughs> like it's like a fun album to listen to. Yeah. And it and uh and I just I just when I heard it, I was just like, man, I knew that I'm just excited to see where the band goes because it seems like it's a bit like a rocket ship right now. Uh and it's just exciting. And I'm just especially with people you're friends with and you're like happy for their success. And it's Absolutely, like and I'm and I'm also like I also feel that when you're kind of in the same scene, when anyone takes off and starts doing well, it it brings us all forward, if that makes sense. What's that saying? High tides I, raise all ships? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I totally, totally feel that, man. And like everything you're saying was either like directly discussed and focused on, or it's just a byproduct of like where we come from. Like we all, like I was saying, come from these like unique different backgrounds musically we've all done like the 10 years of grinding and and like vans together and different scenes and genres and all these things so coming together like we we all bring very unique and different influences to the table and it's the the magic of like when we get in a room together we're able to find like a through line between like a rash decision for instance like that goes from like like as I lay dying vibes to Slipknot to Sublime to uh, my chem, like like yeah. you know what I mean. Like is everyone like, right? Uh, it 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 it's pretty it's pretty much 
uh, Spencer, Joe, and I, we did, mm -hmm. we did majority of the stuff, but like, absolutely. We're sending files out to be like, yo, what, what are you thinking? But it's purely because Joe and I lived in a house together and Spencer was 15 minutes away. Yeah. So we, we spent like eight hours together in either my studio or the upstairs studio in Joe's room. And it was just, it was just a grind and the bouncing of ideas off each other, the bouncing of like, what would system of a down do here? You know, just like weird thoughts. What would, uh, what would Soundgarden do? Yeah. You like, guys, you're not afraid to be weird. Yes. Which is like I said, which, which is cool, which is, which stands out because there's, you know, even with like bad wolves, I think, especially come with our, with a new singer and everything, like we're a little worried about pissing these people off or being, you know, kind of, I think there was a, an idea about coloring between the lines uh, and it must be very freeing to be in an environment where it's like, Hey, maybe there's no rules. Maybe we can just do whatever we want. And that's cool too. Dude. I mean, there's certain things that happened on the record, like where, where like Spencer would go upstairs to like track some pre-pro vocals with Joe. And then he'd come back downstairs and I had written this part, like, like the ex mortis breakdown and like the take your pick breakdown. I have like specific remember memories of. Yo, y'all got some breakdowns on this record, yo. Yeah, dude. Like it's fucking like, serious. And, and Spencer's like, like hard voice <laughs> crazy. I'm like, where the fuck is that coming from? <laughs> yeah, man. He, he and I did a lot of fucking, a lot of work on particularly take your pick. Um, but his fucking vocals, man, they leveled up so hard and like, a lot, a lot of the stuff going on on the record. Like, I don't know if you, you're catching that it's all four of us doing vocals, like almost constantly. Have no, I, that? I, I, I was not putting that together. Yeah. So like Ricky is doing a shitload of background screams. Joe is always harmonizing with Spencer whenever Spencer's doing. And low, he actually like, records the actual harmonies. It doesn't just like Spencer doesn't do it his own harmonies. Nice. Oh, no, it's like it's we try to make the record sound like what we would sound like live. So oh, y'all like a real band. We, we took, we, we were trying to do like a beastie boys thing, man. That That's was dope. like, and like, I just said, Soundgarden, sublime and beastie boys were influences. Like, yeah. what the fuck are you saying, dude? Like, no, that's weird. Well, it, it's, it's great because it's, it shows, I don't know. I think, right. There's so much, there's more music now than ever. Right. So people True. have more access to stuff and, uh, but it's like, um, like Adele just put out a song, right? It's became, it broke all these records. I haven't heard it yet. It's pretty phenomenal. I saw Adam Neely talking about, she's using like microtonal scales, but I haven't checked out the song or his video. Do you watch just, Adam Neely stuff on YouTube? No, I watched. Fuck. Actually, who's that? He's the dude who just will like explain uh, like Indian classical music and how it like oh, is no. against it's, or, or like he'll talk about what, uh, the jazz lick is and like the history of where the lick came from. Forget the name of the guy I watch uh, that was talking about Rick, it. Rick uh, Beato, maybe. Beato, yeah, that's right. Dude, also, also the shit. I love. G, he's such a G. He's such yeah. a G. Um, but he was like he hold like break down the chords and you know the the you know the uh, the modes it's in and stuff. It's mm -hmm. amazing. But you know, it's something he he alludes to in his video about the the Adele song. But I think it's something that goes beyond that. Is that I think we uh, subconsciously can understand when something is authentic, right? Like it's not, it's not something you hear right away. It's not something you know you hear, but it's just something that you're like, it hits you kind of in this weird nether emotional 
thing and like your kind of what is that the, your third eye kind of kind of vibe um and so i think over time right when if you're doing things consistently people kind of understand that and though and there is that kind of cream rises to the top type of results at the end of that of being true to oneself and going hey whatever you think of what we've done it's real it's us and we we believe in it you know and 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 so that's there's something uncompromising i think uh in what the band has achieved with the record oh man i mean dude like spencer is exactly who he puts on to be like he is the most ultimate horror buff you've ever like all he's doing in a session is quoting horror movies and like cracking fucking it's like the the authenticity of what we put on this record although it's like really fucking weird and like i've never heard these things combined before it's because it's authentic it's because that's like all of our tastes combine into one thing filtered through this like incredible vision and concept that spencer has um and his ability to to find that like mastermind team is just fucking insane man like just as like a a business leader because I'm, I'm always looking at that shit trying to pick up like i said before success leaves clues right mm. so just just his ability to find like the right players to put in the right spots and that's that's all up and down the entire the team of what's going on not even band members just the knowing who and what is such a challenging skill and he's just so fucking good at being exactly what he does and i'm like every fucking day that i get to watch him do his shit it's just inspiring man like I, i'd be lying if i said that some of the crazier big things i'm doing now are directly related to just like watching him operate the way he does you know what i mean being what what's that that fucking like the five people you surround yourself with most you become sort of concepts right sure um it's a it's a it, for me it's real i definitely feel that and i also am very choosy about who i surround myself with because i do believe in that stuff uh and the authenticity with what we do is really really fucking there man and i the fact that you can hear that is awesome because it's really easy to see what we're doing as contrived or narcissistic or pretentious but we make those jokes before you can you know listen i for one love pretentious art so i don't give yeah. a fuck <laughs> Dude, like like dream theater is the shit yeah. for instance like like it like like i love me some caviar and some decadence you know what i mean <laughs> do you but actually also, like caviar i had it once i did not like it i mean i'm, I'm lying i actually am vegan so oh, there, uh, there you go they don't have vegan you know. caviar yet um what would that be just like black balls that taste Something. like shit yeah, yeah i don't even want to know dude that boba tea is, is so vegan soggy caviar. beans with a bunch of salt on them <laughs> soggy beans <laughs> yeah dude, like, um, and some slime <laughs> some... <laughs> what's, what's, do you do you like seafood yeah it's weird because like all of the like vegan seafood stuff is just flavored with seaweed to make it taste like fish or no my girlfriend makes uh vegan tuna fish out of um chickpeas yeah and it's pretty amazing so good dude i do that one often man i'm a my girlfriend's I'm, vegan so i eat a lot of vegan food that's, I'm 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 big on cooking, man. So that I'm I I feel like you're a lucky man to have yeah. a vegan who can cook too. That sounds sounds like yeah. a wise move. And in Long Beach, plenty of great vegan restaurants oh, yeah. around here. Oh yeah, as dude. well. Have you been to Crossroads in uh, West Hollywood? Dude, have you done Pura Vida? It's owned by the same guy. No, I gotta write Pura Vida. Pura Vida is like the Italian version of that, and Crossroads is like burgers and all that kind of shit, right? No, they have a bunch of it. A lot of the main courses at crossroads are italian 
or pasta, but I, dude, I mean, I've, I've okay, had I'm sure this before. is very interesting for listeners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys, restaurants. Yeah. yeah, dude, you guys all should not go there because no one's local. Um, but Pure Vita is fucking dope, man. It's the, basically right. that chef. It's it's Travis Barker, I think, invested in in those Ooh. two, right? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but I, I need I need to go because I need to find lovely spots to take the lady. But little listen, pine, little pine's a good one. Sage is a good one. I'll shut up. All right, no, I've been to Sage. I've been to Sage. Yeah. No, it's all good. It's all good. But no, dude, we're we're ninety minutes into this thing. I know you have a, a a Twitch stream to go to. I could give a shit, man. I honestly don't mind talking to you longer if you if you want to. I, I as long as I have fifteen minutes before two, I'm good. Well, actually, okay. Up well, to you, dude. Let's. I I just ask you a couple couple of things. Yeah, so let's do it, man. No, but like just going to your website. You know, you talking about being inspired by Spencer and kind of understanding this kind of business marketing thing, which I'm still, I feel like I'm three steps behind, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with you guys at some point, but no, but you're doing tab books and you're doing, you know, you're doing lessons and, you know, and I, I and you're on Twitch now and I, I, I watched like a few minutes of the stream and just hearing you talk about teaching and having this, you have a really fucking in-depth stuff. You're fucking great at it. And you, the way you're explaining explaining things, you're doing a thing on riff hard. If I'm not, if I'm yeah, yeah, a course, a course on. Well, it's actually not a course. I'm I'm the, this month's guest teacher, but it's like probably three hours plus of content, and yeah, you can sign up for a dollar for the first month, which is pretty ridiculous. Nice, uh, but yeah, dude, like it's it's a really, really, really good time being able to find platforms and delivery methods for like having those sort of pieces of content because it's not necessarily something that is easy to put out in a long form way like that. Yeah. Before I was using like Instagram live to do like quick little 15 minute lessons. Um, but all, all of this is kind of like, you know, circling back, it's kind of spiraled into like the community building thing. So a lot of that stuff is going towards, I'm building out a, I don't know how much I want to talk about this right now, as far as the, the in-depth details, but I'm building out a guitar lesson community called Sugarman's Lesson Lounge. Um, but the idea isn't for it to be Sugarman's Lesson Lounge. It's the idea that you could have a lesson lounge. Mario Batali could have a lesson lounge. Doesn't fucking matter, right? So that's sort of where this is going is solving what I see as issues with community building, monetizing, and like direct relations with people. Like the fact that for my current business, I have to combine Twitch, Patreon, and Discord and Facebook groups. And like, it's too much. We need that all in-house. So that's that's a business that I'm working on right now. I have a bunch of awesome fucking partners. Um, so hopefully and that you becomes- you have a signature guitar, right? That just came out. Dude, um, ironically, and I was going to talk about that a few seconds ago when you mentioned it, like the, the watching how Spencer operates and watching how this band delivers content and hypes content was a huge part of how I came up with that campaign for that guitar. Um, Kiesel reached out to me and they were like, look, like you're you're in a place now where we could have an artist edition guitar. Uh, and it doesn't mean I'm a signature artist yet, right? That's that's something that's being worked towards, but they're giving me the opportunity to like prove my worth. And be, the way that it works is they're not gonna back and support or like market what I did. It's all on me. They wanna see like what I can bring to the table, right? Mm -hmm. So I got real in depth and, and clever in my mind, I think with ways to kind of like raise awareness on it. So what I did was I gave away my original murder axe. That's, that's what I named my stupid fucking bloody guitar. Um, I gave away the, the first one to kind of like raise awareness on the guitar. People had to like sign up with a bunch of information about it if they wanted to win it. Um, 
And I, I want to say it was like a week before I was able to announce that this guitar is going to be available. I announced who won the guitar and everyone was like frothing at the mouth because they wished they could have got it. Right. And that's exactly when I was like, well, now you can go to this fucking place. Um, and then I made a bunch of really fucking goofy content. Did you see any of the murder axe videos I made by any chance? Vaguely. I basic, basically, uh, it starts with me restringing, no one can see this, but there's a, a guitar behind me that doesn't have blood on it, but it looks like my murder axe. I'm restringing that one really bad, like screwdriver hitting wood, like knocking shit around. And then my guitar evolves into a, a murder axe. And then it basically, I wind up uh, on this exact coffee table, saran wrapped to the coffee table, getting murdered Dexter style by my guitar with all my guitars, like on the wall being my victims, how I've like, haven't changed their strings in months. You never tune me all this kind of shit. So I just did this like five episode goofy fucking thing. Um, and that was leading up to the release day on October 31st. So I took from October 15th until the 31st is when those videos came out. And then by the time I woke up on November 1st, we had sold 34 guitars. Damn. Yeah. 3k a piece. That shit is like fucking insane to me, dude. Yeah. Uh, kind of blew my fucking mind. And then two days after that, we sold out all 50 and I, I'm beside myself, dude. Like uh, I was expecting to sell four. You yeah. know what I mean? Wow. Like I, I really didn't know what it was. Um, Kiesel is really fucking stoked. I'm, I'm blown away by the support and like the showing of love on that shit. Like it's, it's fucking insane, man. So like I said, the, the way that I rolled that out was very much inspired by creating lore, creating like FOMO, creating lore, creating a storyline an enigma so it's not dan sugarman's guitar it's the murder axe do you know what i yeah. mean yeah so that that was like the premise and it landed like really fucking well so props to spencer man all i did was follow the blueprint dude hey man yeah but you're the one who executed it and ideas are cheap and action is uh i think ultimately what's what's most valuable and True. dude super impressive everything it's it's an inspiration to me personally of things that you know i want to emulate and and try and get out in some of these spaces and yeah i think you're a real trail trailblazer uh yeah, in all these different avenues to just create your own path and you're kind of functioning well in all these things in terms of hey i'm involved in this band that's kicking ass i'm doing my solo records which create this lane i'm connecting with fans and creating communities and the marketing stuff dude is brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant Thank you so much, man. I, I uh, visually speaking, this might kind of sound funny, but I try to make myself into like a silo with a bunch of different belts feeding me from different places. Like I'm like we were talking about before the ability to multitask. And obviously mm. I can't do that either. I put insane amounts of focus on a bunch of individual things, but like I'm looking to have uh, my own like guitar lesson thing. I'm looking to create a community for other teachers of anything to have their thing. I'm looking to have my solo music, I'm looking to have Ice Nine. I'm looking to take that as far as we fucking can. Cause that, like you said, it's it's a rocket ship ride, man. And I didn't pass astronaut school, but I'm still on board. You Brother, know what I mean? Are you um gonna be able to tour anytime soon? Cause I know you were dealing with some health stuff. And... Yeah, man. So I'm I'm hoping that that I'm gonna be able to get through this shit as soon as fucking possible and get the clearance to get back out there. But like seeing my boys. And my fill-in is fucking incredible, man. Chris Kelly's he's such a good guitar player. Um, but seeing my boys out there playing these songs that like I poured my life into, not only is the coolest shit ever to actually have like that removal and just like watch some footage of them playing these songs, but also, dude, 
so tough to watch. I want to be FOMO. there. So you got fucking, the real FOMO. <laughs> oh man, I just want to be there, dude. I want to be on stage playing with all these fucking new people coming out to see these new songs. Like, but actually, you know wait. what? It's not FOMO. It's just Mo. You're just it's missing just... out. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm, There's no I'm, fear. I'm like, I am. Out. Yeah, I'm just missing out. I'm just Mo, dude. That's <laughs> that's amazing, dude. Yeah, it's uh it's it's a weird situation, dude. But 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 it really is just like to me a matter of looking at the the situation and trying to find ways to have fun and I don't want to say the word leverage because that's not necessarily what it is, but it's like utilize opportunities that come as they come. And I think that is what is so exciting about this climate right now. There's yeah. so many new things bubbling up, like me jumping on Discord three years ago and like starting my my online lesson community there. Discord this year is fucking huge. It's insane. Like like seeing like being able to jump on these new movements and seeing if you can get ahead of it or be a part of it. It's such an exciting time to be launching stuff. There's so many new things happening. Um, it's a really, really ripe time for that shit, man. And I'm just stoked to be where I'm at, you know, and be able to take take these opportunities as they come and hopefully be of service to people, you know? Right on. Well, listen, I think you're doing it about as well as anyone right now. I think your attitude is admirable. Definitely something that uh, I love having conversations like this and getting other people's insight and like, you know, it's, it's, it's just great to find kindred spirits, but also people operating at a level and go, okay, that's, I, I, I like to, one of the great things about this show is you get, different philosophies and uh, people's kind of work environments and their ideas about how they, their different approaches and you can kind of cherry pick right. little, little things and go, Oh, I'm going to kind of borrow a little bit of that idea. I'm going to borrow a little bit of that. And, and, and with that, you kind of understand this is the, the best way to, to operate to not only have success. Cause I, but I think the success in some ways is a um, you know, is the downstream of probably a series of good habits, you know? Yeah, dude. Like that. And that, that sort of goes back to what I was saying before. Like if I was working towards like expectations, I'd be fucking bummed. I'm just doing the work and enjoying it. And things kind of come up as they do. You know what I mean? Um, but ironically, dude, like you mentioning that makes me want to say this to you. I'm actually going to be starting my podcast soon called Mindframe uh, okay. on, on my Twitch. So it would be live. Also, also talking with uh, with Dave and Mike about doing doing it on their podcast network, which would be very fucking cool. Um, but the whole premise of that is like effectively this. It's like diving into the mindset behind not like what's your history, but like what caused you to make that choice? What was your mindset when you were doing it? What's your belief inside of this? Like the more so like the how did you get here other than like what happened kind of thing. Um, and, and based on the idea of like success leaves clues and you could always like work backwards from other things and take inspiration. Uh, the premise of that came from, do you know, Tim Ferriss? I feel like you'd be, be into sure. Tim Ferriss. Right. Yeah. Um, he wrote a book called tribe of mentors and, uh, is it right here? It's under a bunch of fucking books. He wrote, he wrote a book that basically inspired me to kind of like take account of what's going on in the music world and try to do that exact same thing. So I'm going to be doing this podcast where I'm going to be picking dudes brains like you, Angel, a bunch of other homies, uh, way above where I'm at, below where I'm at, where I'm at, like all, all the different things. Um, and the premise is to take account of what makes things work for them and then put all of that information into a book similar to what Tribe of Mentors is, where mm. it would be like all of the information that's pertinent to like guitar players, all the information. If you want to be a manager, this is like the stuff that these guys say to make, make things work for you. Um, 
it's a long, long form goal. And like I was saying before, I have these crazy fucking ambitious goals. And then it's just a matter of doing the milestones towards that. Right. So me launching Twitch is just a stepping stone towards getting to the podcast, towards getting to the book. But all of this again is just coming back to being of service to people that love what we do and want to do what we do. I want to give people tools and insight into how it happened because it's such a question mark. I don't know how I got here. I just did it. Same for you. Probably you probably looked, took account of what everyone else was doing, what they weren't doing and kind of moved, right. Kind of adapted as you went. Yeah. I mean, listen, I had to do a lot of shifting, right. My mental and emotional space, kind of the place where you're already at. It took me a long time to get to anything even resembling that. Uh, and I had to go through, I had to make a lot of mistakes yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, we're, we're all, we're to some degree, we're also at the whim of just our life experience. Right. So the person a has different, uh, obstacles, right? right? So we're not all dealing with the same pathway to get to where we need to get to, but your mentality, if people can think that way as early as possible, it's going to open up a lot of, a lot of doors. But again, even with that, you could have a great mentality, but still need talent, still need skills, still need right. charisma, still need that great work ethic and all these other, other things as well. There's not one, just having a good attitude. <laughs> it's certainly yeah. not gonna, uh... but, but, but on the same, on the same breath, dude, like you could be the guy who doesn't have the charisma or doesn't have the attitude, but you could find the guys who do. Sure. And then, and then you're potentially working on the mastermind concept that I mentioned earlier, where you could like build your, your, your vulnerabilities into the team and into the network a little bit to where like your weakness wouldn't necessarily be a weakness. Damn. So long as you're operating on the team level, right? There's some evil genius shit right here. I like this. I like it. Exposing exposing my, uh, my malicious intent here, dude. I'm like, no, you got to start like rubbing your hands. Like I will put the, I will put the team together of superheroes and I will be Put the puppet master. Dude, I mean, it's, it's, it's fucked up. Like you look, you look at dudes like, like I take this idea from uh, Andrew Carnegie. Do you know Andrew Carnegie? Yeah. Like from um, like back in the day, like back in the day, one of the, one of like the tycoons of American fucking yeah. shit. Right. He, I believe moved here from Ireland, not knowing shit about shit yeah. and saw the iron industry booming and didn't know shit about iron, but he knew about making teams and about finances and shit. So he hired Charles Schwab which is kind of wild. That's literally the bank that we know of now. Um, and he hired a few other guys to build out his mastermind team. And because he was the leader, he was the one putting these things in place. He put himself in that position, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all the ideas were coming from him. All the execution was coming from him. He was a visionary. You know what I mean? And those there's so much, like, like I fucking said, I think four times, like the idea of success leads clues is something that I'm always just like looking for. And obviously success also has malicious shit inside of it that you need to be able to like, if you're eating sunflower seeds, spit out the shell. Take the fucking seed. You're 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 deep in this stuff, and I I I love it. I love it. Um, but dude, I just want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. People, I think people are really gonna enjoy this show. I I learned so much, and this is what it's all about. Um, bro, I I I appreciate the opportunity to come and hang with you, man. Like we we kind of like we've definitely crossed paths over the course of years and shit, but we kind of like met for the first time in person at the funeral derangement shoot side note. That was fucking sick. Having you there, man, that video turned out super dope. Really um, amazing. But be being able to, to connect like this and have like a long form chat with you about the weirder shit that goes on in, in, in our minds is fucking awesome, man. And 
I appreciate your willingness to get weird with me, dude, and let me say some stupid shit. Uh, yeah. I definitely look forward to hearing when this comes out. I'm going to share it with all my all my peeps and and see what they fucking think because I try to drop things, pieces of information that are like directly specific to like the people I want to help, like the people sure. I'm in service to. So like I'm answering questions to you, but continuing conversations I'm having in my fucking Discord, right? Like it's what it is. Um, but like if if any of you guys are into that shit, sugarmanslessonlounge.com if you want to get in on the like the world of of guitar lesson stuff. Otherwise, I'm doing like Twitch and shit, which is fun. Um, and last but not least, I make myself accessible as fuck. So if you ever want to reach out to me, feel free to do so and I'll I'll get back to you. That's right. Sugar man, man of service man in of the service. world. That's right. He's, he's, he's just keeping it sweet, baby. Keeping it sweet, dude. <laughs> just diabetic till the end, man. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, brother, have a great day. Have a great stream. And I'll be in touch. All right. You take care. Appreciate you, dude. Love you, doc. See you soon. Love dude. you too, brother. Peace. Peace. Sections a killer complexion is often a great alibi. Valentino could soar mixed with violence and gore. Well, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. guy, guy. With my beauty routines and a phrase full of spleens, I say it's extreme, but it's time to say God. Videotapes. You'll find no escape once you're captured on tape. I'm aware it's a bit avant-garde. Face your piece of trash! Only craving without ever craving. But wait, let me give you my card. There is no really just this dark entity that cannot be redeemed. So it's hard to say goodbye. was a little bit too seen for me, but when the Silver Scream came out, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a refined melodic sensibility that really makes it a cut above the rest. Hey, Paul!
So you just heard Hip To Be Scared, which I believe was the first single released from Ice Nine Kills brand new record, Welcome To Horror Wood. I think it's Silver Scream 2, something like that. And with that features Jacoby Shaddix of Papa Roach, the main man. God damn, that song is good. <laughs> I'm, I'm like listen to it headphones you, you get a different you know, like studio headphones you get a different appreciation there's so much little stuff and details and yeah i'm really a big fan of that record and that band they just they took that leap man and, and people are going nuts over it and i'm, I'm really really happy for them because they're they work so hard and you know they have a vision and it's it's cool to see something that's just different from everything else that's out there so i hope you enjoyed my conversation with dan he is a uh, He's he's true blue, man. Really, really sweet guy and just doing all the right things. You know, I think for, you know, even you guys listening or even myself, I look at all the things. I'm so kind of a foot in the door and out the door when it comes to all this uh, basically extra stuff, which I call extra. But I think for a lot of people, that's just what they do. Right. There's like I'm doing Twitch. I'm doing this. And it's. You know, something I kind of go in and out with integrating with my my day to day, but Dan's doing it as well as anyone. So definitely someone to to follow. I like I said, I checked out his Twitch, and he was like teaching guitar stuff and just brilliant, brilliant stuff. And he's an open book and just a great resource. You know, so huge shout out to Dan, uh, huge shout out to Ice Nine Kills. Hopefully, we can do some touring with them in the future. That would be very, very cool. Speaking of touring, Bad Wolves, we're announcing a show today. We're going to be playing with Volbeat. <laughs> hell, hell yeah. Sorry, I'm, I was like, who are we playing with? Yeah, we're playing with Volbeat in Las Vegas on Friday, March 4th at Virgin Hotel. So this is going to be, I guess, like a warm-up date for our tour with Papa Roach. And... That should be really exciting. So we'll be like kind of fresh off our run with Tremonti in Europe. So basically I'm, I got one more rehearsal with the wedding band this week. And then I'm putting my Bad Wolves hat back on and just digging into the record. Because a lot of the stuff, like we write these records and work on them and barely know how to play them. (laughs) So actually I I have to go... Every time we make a record, I go in and and then figure it all out and transcribe it and put it together and start practicing the songs. So that's next on my docket. So the, the work never ends, and I'm doing a shitload of podcasts. So you know, I don't like I said I'm, I'm not gonna spoil them right now. You're just gonna have to wait. But I guarantee you, it's definitely people you guys are gonna want to hear from. So getting back into the swing of things, and then. Oh, yeah, we got Thanksgiving coming up. This is the tough time I was I was thinking about maybe doing some photos or shooting this video for the song I did. And I was like, but, you know, you want to get in shape for all that stuff. And then I'm like, oh, it's the holidays. It's hard to get in shape during the holidays. Just saying. I feel like that just Thanksgiving alone. I got two different places to go. I got to go to my aunt's house. I'm going to go to my friend's house. And then my other friends have a friends giving thing on that following Sunday. I'm going to be a, God, it's going to be problematic, all right? Just just when you're trying to keep it off, but <laughs> I'm up, I'm down. I'm like the uh, the Oprah of metalcore, you know? 
Some days I'm fat, some days I'm skinny. It's all right. We're going to be all right. But anyway, I hope everyone's having a great week. Hope the beginning of the show wasn't a downer, but I was trying to address something without covering it in the same way everyone else does, which is to, I think, miss the big picture. And I'm so, I get so wrapped up in thing happens or we're going through this and I, I, I react to the reaction. Like I see what everyone else says and I go, this just seems fucked up. So anyway, let's not go backwards. Let's move forward. Have an excellent week. Keep rocking. And you know, you're going to be seeing me soon because your boy's going to be hitting the road very soon within the new year, within about two months from now, I'm going to be on tour. So I've got a lot of work to do, but it's all the good work. Take care. Mama's out. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now the podcast about nothing your favorite podcast's favorite podcast do you enjoy nothing <laughs> so do we why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts thank you